Today we are going to have a look at the emotion inside the heart of God when it comes to His love towards us. Is God functioning from an emotion or is He simply just having acts or deeds of goodwill towards us? This weekend we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that God came and gave us an only begotten Son. But we're going to look at what was driving God, what caused Him to do what He was doing. Now, uh, I want to read, and you will see in your notes there, those of you that got the notes, again, if you want the notes prior to the service, we send them out at about the Thursday. Uh, you can just write to us at info at dynamicministries.com or just go to my website dynamicministries.com and click contact us and send us an email and we will send you the notes every week. Now we're going to go to John 3 and I'm going to read from verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we might think, how does the resurrection pertain to that passage where it says that God gave His only begotten Son? So many times we think that when God gave His only begotten Son, that it had everything to do with the cross. But the concept of only begotten is much greater than the death of the cross. God didn't give us a dead Jesus. That is not what saves us. A dead Jesus cannot save us. What God gave humanity is a Jesus that was raised from the dead. Or if I say a Jesus, I mean a Savior or a God with us person. God present in humanity through the resurrected Jesus Christ. So when we look at John 3.16, we are seeing a magnitude of love there. We are seeing that God was willing to give us the resurrected Jesus so that we by him can be saved. Now I want to just quickly say this. Maybe you are not a regular follower of uh, my messages that I preach on Sundays. And I would like to just bring to you the concept of what an only begotten son is. We find this in Acts 13 and I'm going to read from verse 32. It says, And we declare unto you good news or glad tidings or the gospel. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. So we see here that the day wherein Jesus was begotten was not the day he was born from Mary. It was the day when he was raised from the dead. And now, the scripture says in John 3.16 that God has given His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We can see this concept of the resurrection clearly in the writing in John 3.16. For John is actually saying God has presented us with an immortal human that has the ability to have compassion with us or to be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, yet he has 
conquered it and is now the king over what destroys humans' lives. He's also the king over whatsoever leads unto death, which would be called sins. He is then that which God has given unto us, a resurrected Jesus, so that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us read Acts 3 again with that in mind. It says, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised Jesus again. In other words, Jesus didn't perish, but he now has everlasting life. And what has he given unto us? This Jesus. That's what he's given unto us. As is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. So he is then saying further on, if we go down to verse 38, he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, if we look at this, we are seeing that God provides a resurrected Jesus Christ, and this Jesus pertains or is connected to our weaknesses and our sins. That means when God saw us in sin, it brought forth a thought in his heart that he has to give us something that can save us from what is troubling us. So, in the midst of our sins, or let me put it this way, the platform of sin, the depths of sin, the misery and the despair and the darkness of destruction and bitterness and hatred, when God saw man in that, he fabricated the idea or brought forth the idea that let me give something that can set them free, that can deliver them. And he brought forth Jesus. Amen. Now, I do know that some of you will notice that I'm preaching uh, this resurrection almost as if it would be uh, the plan B of God. I am conscious that it might sound like that, although it is not the plan B. I just want to illustrate what was going on in the heart of God when he saw man in sin. He wasn't, uh, it didn't push God away from us. God didn't want to be separate from us when he saw us in sin. No, sin was actually causing God. When he saw man in sin, it brought forth the cleansing power of God wherein he comes to clean us. It's almost, uh, we can liken it to, to a child riding a bicycle and then he falls off his bike and now it brings forth inside, the nurse forth inside the mother or the father and it brings forth the, uh, the band-aid and it brings forth the uh, disinfectant and all those kind of things. That's how it works. When your child falls with his bicycle, fall off his bicycle, it doesn't bring forth anger in you. It brings forth care. Amen. So I want to say to you that the world in the midst of their sin is not so ugly and so dirty that God cannot look upon them. He actually looks upon them, and as he looks upon them, we find great compassion arise in his heart. Now, during this week, I was in conversation with somebody about the word love. 
And what the person said was that the word love in John 3.16 does not talk about emotions, but it actually talks about actions. And we can read it, and he challenged me and said, go and read it from John 3 verse 14 and read it in context and you will see that it does not talk about an emotion, but it simply talks about the action of giving the Son. And let's read it from John 3.14 and then we're going to study the Greek words and we're going to look at what was in the mind of John when he wrote this and we're going to conclude that it was a powerful action born from emotions and passions. But let us look at what the passage says. In John 3.14 it reads like this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so or in this manner must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish or die, but have eternal life. For God so, or in this manner, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. So what the person would say is, can you see that the word love there is connected to what God gave? So what he's saying is that love is an action, meaning that uh, God didn't walk with emotions of love towards man. He just had a mere action wherein he was good to humanity. Now, there's many reasons why this person would say that, which I am not going to go into. But one of the things that he mentioned is that if we say that God is a God that lives, lives from or his actions is born from emotion, we we can basically conclude that nobody would ever go to hell because God would love people and how can a loving God send people to hell? And what the person I wanted to do was to remove the emotion of love from the heart of God so that the scripture can make sense wherein it would say that there will, will be some people that will enter the second death. Now I don't want to uh, bore you with all the detail of our conversation but what I want to say is that when you read John 3.16, just, just the way it's written there in face value, and you don't make a study of it, it the, the man is basically correct. He, the, the, the word love there is referred to or refers to the action of giving the Son, giving the only begotten Son. Now, that is what we would conclude in a simple reading of this. But let us go and look at the Greek, words of, uh, the Greek words of love. What does love mean? Now, the Greek word, the first definition there on page 2, means to welcome or to entertain. So, Thayer definition says that the word agape, which is used, which in the Bible school was always defined to me as the God kind of love. There was no definition given to it. It was just the God kind of love. And then phileo was brotherly love or to love your friend and so forth. But here we see that John uses the word love. He could have used many other words. He could have said, and God so cared for the world. Or he could have said, and God was so long-suffering with the world. Or God was so upset with the sin of the world. He could have used many words. But John decided to use the word love. And that word love means to welcome or to entertain. Meaning to, to, to bring in, to, to welcome, to uh, set a table, to give space for, to give place for. 
It also means to be fond of or to love dearly. Now, the word agape can, can be directed to two things, either to people or to things, objects. So when it is towards people, it means to welcome or to be entertained or to be fond of. That word fond in the uh, Webster's Dictionary means to be in love with or treat with great indulgence or tenderness or to caress. So we can see that the word love does have a massive undertone of emotion which is much more than simply actions. Now there's a lot to say about this which we're going to get into. But you can already see that uh, Thyre comes and when he reads the Greek and he understands the Greek much better than what uh, any layman would understand this. He, the Greek here is not that you can't find this Greek just in the world today. This is the old Greek of that time. The Greek now and the Greek in Jesus' time the Greek language, the difference between it is as big or even much bigger than what we would find the difference between 16th century, 15th century English and the English of today. There's a massive difference. So Thayer, uh, were definitions, the people who studied this come to the came to the conclusion that what the Greek actually talks about um, is a when it talks about love, is to welcome someone. Now, you need to understand how translation works. You look at a Greek word. This is very simplistic, but you look at a word in one language. Let's say I want to translate something from Afrikaans into English. I have to understand the Afrikaans, and I need to understand it in depth. And then I need to understand English and understand that in depth. Then I would look at the Afrikaans word, and then I'm going to look at a suitable word in the other language which can carry the weight of what I see in the one, and then I translate it. I would say, let's, let's for instance, take the word love. Uh, in Engli English, it's love. In Afrikaans, it's liefde. And then I would look, what does love mean in English? And what Afrikaans word would mean the same? That would carry the same emotion, the same passion, the same feeling. And that is basically how it works. So when... Thayer looked at the Greek word love. He said what that means is to entertain or to be fond of. So you can basically say that that word love in the Greek can also be translated with and God so welcomed the world, God so entertained the world, or this is very beautiful, that God was so fond of, of the world, which means, according to Webster's again, uh, the, the word fond means to be in love with. So God was so in love with the world that he showed this action of love, which is to give his son. So I want to say to you, whenever you are in need of salvation of any sort or kind, never think that God feels hostile towards you. I do believe that there are people that can make themselves the enemies of God, that hate God. Uh, that is so. And I do believe that there is a, a, a people group that can willfully resist God to the point that God says, well, if that is what you want, you can have that. 
And God's, God would, in his heart, I believe, have what I, if I just look at normal human passions, mixed feelings. He would be angry at that person maybe going about trying to destroy his church and those whom he loved. Yet on the other side, he would never forget that that person that is doing those things comes from him, is his own, and belongs to him, although he has turned his back on him. We find the very same thing in Jesus when he was saying to Jerusalem, 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 like a hen gathers her chicks. I wanted to gather you, but you didn't want to do it. And we find Jesus in Matthew 23, go and in, uh, in, in an almost kind of a passionate, uh, you get, I wouldn't say the word violent is the right word, but a very powerful, passionate speech. He came and he addressed the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And he said that you've murdered the prophets. You've done this, you've done this, and all those kind of things. How do you think will you be saved if you are rejecting the only life? So I want to say this. I'm not saying the heart of God cannot have uh, feelings of anger or feelings of uh, that would bring forth or which, which, which would result in wrath, which I realize I have to teach on again sometime. Uh, that is so. But for us, for any person, there is definitely in the heart of God a place where he's got a passionate emotion of love towards you. He feels it inside him. Amen. So we see here that Webster comes, oh, uh, sorry, Thayad definition says that it means to be fond of or to love dearly. Should this pertain to things or objects, it means to be pleased with or to be content with. The word content means not to not in need of any scrutinization or without examination. You like something without examining it. By just seeing it, it is good enough for you. I think of my children when they were born. Each one of them, when they were born, I would hold them in my arms. And when I would look at them, I would not count their fingers, count their toes, uh, take them for an MRI scan to go and see, does the brain function correctly? Is he, do, is, is he perfect before I would have a passion in my heart or, or where I would be affectionate, have affection, or affection simply means when I ha have been affected by him in a positive sense. No, they've affected me by birth, just by who they are. They've affected me uh, in, in a way that I become, became emotional, uh, in a way wherein I want to care and protect them, in a way that I would give my life for them, in a way that I would always want to save them from harm. And that is not found in works. It is found in design and origin. That is, and also in kind. Now we find that when we think of things, it would be hardly imaginable that we could ever use the definition of love as pertaining to things when it comes to people, because people aren't things. But amazingly, uh, there are some theologies that would basically call people just the creation of God and not the children of God should they have not believed in Jesus. No, I don't agree with that. I believe that all people are God's people. They are God's children some of them are lost 
and others are not. Like in the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was a son, but he was lost. When he, he received his, his inheritance and wasted it, and when he wasted his inheritance, he basically saw himself not as the father's son anymore, according to the culture and time of that day, he said, let me go back to my father and be a servant because I can never be a son in the house again. But the father, when he saw him afar off, felt compassion and restored him. The father loved him. Now, I want to say to you, even if you would conclude that people are simply just the objects, the things God has made, and that they are just uh, a part of creation, like almost like animals, should they have not believed in Jesus Christ, the word agape makes room for them as well. Wherein it says that God is content with the thing he has made. He is well pleased with the thing that he has made. Amen. So uh, should you be a wonderful good person or should you be classified as a thing because you have not even believed in God? God's heart is still burning with passion and compassion towards you to the point that it goes over into actions. Now the word uh, uh, agape and in, the, um, in the Strong's is very powerful. Strong's says that the word agape can be compared to a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is H5689 in this, uh, according to Strong's numbers. And that word is a very powerful word. We don't even want to think of that word along the lines of salvation because it actually talks about the lust that there is inside of a person, when, or, or, or of a man, when he desires a, a woman or a prostitute. That is what it's talking about. Now, St Strong's comes in his concordance and he says that it can be compared to that word now we do find that in the Septuagint that the word for love is not translated as that Hebrew word where it talks about a lust but it talks about a passionate love that there is between a husband and his wife basically uh, sexually or otherwise it says but it's amazing that he would say it can be compared or it uh, can, can be compared to that almost kind of a evil or in a bad sense, a lust. Now, what I think I is in the mind of Strong's is that he's talking about the strength or the much or the power of that desire. So when Strong's come and he declares the word love, one word he uses there is the word much. You can see that in page 3 there. The word much and then compared with Hebrews 5, 6, 8, 9. talks about the muchness of the feeling or the, the drive of this love. Amen. Um, in the Greek, it can be compared with the Greek word 5, 3, 6, 8, which is the word phileo, which means to approve or to like or to sanction or to treat with effect to, to treat affectionately or with kindness to welcome or to to befriend it includes the showing of signs of love like kissing so we see that when the bible says for god so loved the world the, the greek understanding of that word 
is basically something that God has done wherein it can be seen as God kissing the world. Jesus Christ coming to earth and conquering sin and death is God kissing the world. Now, how do you kiss somebody without a passion and an affection? If it is true that love does not derive from true uh, uh, feelings and, and, and being genuine in the heart, where it is on account of feelings of love and passions toward the person, God's kiss to humanity can be equivalent or can be likened unto Judas's kiss when he kissed Jesus. God didn't kiss humanity with a kiss, uh, with a Judas kiss. He kissed us passionately. He kissed humanity in that he came to earth. It was signs of love. And this is what uh, phileo means. And I like what Strong says. It says, compare the Greek word or compare it with phileo. So I find when you look at the word agape, the Greek word eros, which I don't think is in the Bible, just uh, which talks about essential love, which shows more towards the Hebrew word uh, agab, which talks about essential love. Uh, agape, phileo, and eros, it, it's as if there is a place where it overlaps. And all of those words, although in the case of agape, it points to, and we will look at it, to an action more than the feeling, we find that the action is based on a deep feeling inside the heart. <laughs> Amen. This is so, so good. God loves us. And His love is not just an action. It is an action born from something that is very great and big inside the heart of God. Now, on page 4, we see that word agab talking about sensual love or to breathe after in a sensual way. It's only used seven times in the Bible, and every time it's used in a very negative way, wherein it talks basically about, like I said, the lust between a man and a woman in a wrong way. But I believe he's, he's talking about, when he refers to that word, the muchness or the power, that, that drive that is inside a person that would... Uh, be willing to leave everything, you know, leave his family, leave his wife and his children to go after that evil woman. Now, God doesn't leave to go after evil. It just talks about the strength of the desire that he was basically willing to let go of one thing to gain us because he wants to preserve our lives. Okay, uh, the, the Hebrew word that is used for love, <coughs> which is translated into the Greek in the Septuagint, is the, the Hebrew word 157, which means to have affection for sexually or otherwise. So it says here, uh, you know, it's almost when we talk about the word love in the Bible, the word agape in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, as if we cannot get away, it's almost as if it's grown-up language. It's for grown-up people. It's for the mature. It's marriage language. It says here it means to have affection for sexually or otherwise. That's the, that, that is the word that is used, the Hebrew word. 
So what I'm talking about here, and, and this might be sound a little bit confusing, but this is what I want to say. In the Septuagint, when we use the word love, the Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament. So we look in the Greek in the New Testament, the word love, and we go to the Old Testament and we look at where the translators translated the, use that word love, agape in the Old. Then we go and look at what Hebrew word was used in that case. And that word is what we have here, which is to have affection for sexually or otherwise. Talks about uh, 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 intense unity. Amen. <coughs> when we look at this word love or affection, the word affection, it says you're to have affection. Affection, according to Webster's, in a general sense, is an attribute or a quality or a property which is inseparable from the object. What that means is that you cannot have affection without something that is affecting you. So when we talk about love, as an affection in the heart of God, it talks about the result or the consequence or the effect that what he is beholding is having on him. And then he, it is so strong that he goes over into an action. And that action is what John 3.16 is describing, wherein he was willing to give his son. Now, on page 5, we're looking quickly at Webster's. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's quickly get, go to Webster's and what Webster's means. Webster says, in a general sense, to be pleased with, or, now listen to this, to regard with affection. Can you see he's talking about an action? He says that when you love someone, it is when you look at the qualities of a person, wherein something comes forth in you which cannot come forth in you without that person. That's the word of, uh, to, to, to have an affection. An affection is a quality that you have that can never be uh, separated from the object. So let me read it again here. It is, according to Webster's, in a general sense, it's the attribute or a quality or a property which is inseparable from the object. So it is something that you can only have, should there be something or someone else. It means you cannot have affection just by yourself. You need someone else. You need something else. And it says here, the word love, when it talks about, and God so loved the world, that it was something inside the heart of God that God could not have without us. That feeling inside the heart of God, it is all on account of God's goodness. But that goodness was put into action or into motion by what he beheld. Amen. So agape, translated into English, the English word for it means, the English word love for it, is to regard with affection on account of some qualities which excite Pleasing sensations or desires of gratification. So when you see qualities that brings a pleasing sensation to you, and now you come and you regard that thing which brings the pleasing sensation to you, that action of regarding the one that brings these beautiful qualities to you is 
translated as the word, or that is the English definition of the word love. Which the translators, which took it from Greek to English, decided to use. So what the translators had in their mind when they used the English word, when Webster's, in the translation of the Bible, used the word love, what was in the mind was that this is an action that can only take place on account of uh, an emotion and a passion that arose on account of beauty that he's beholding. Glory to God. So although John 3.16 talks about the action uh, of giving his son, it is called love. And love is an action on account of emotion and passion. Amen. Now, let us uh, read quickly what I've got in the notes there. I've come to uh, the conclusion, basically. Oh, yeah, the conclusion of the English there. It says, love is much more than just an emotion. It is the action that is based on the emotion or the passion that arose on account of beauty, value, or the suffering of something or someone that is valuable that you are beholding. To remove feelings from the word love would be a frivolous exercise in etymological contempt as much as removing the action from the definition of the word love would be. So what, it, what I'm saying there is that if you look etymologically, which means at the history of the word from where the meaning is derived, and you want to remove emotion from the word love, it is frivolous. It is contempt. It is disregarding intellect. That's what it is. So when you say God loved the world, the, world, the word love is loaded with passion, loaded with with feeling glory to god See, there's a fly here okay right i want to quickly go to um the parable of the good samaritan this is powerful and you're going to see how jesus explains the word love exactly as what i've explained it to you here the parable of the good samaritan we all know and i've got the passage there and let me read it and behold a certain lawyer stood stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to have eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, You have answered right. This do, and you will live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, answering him said, a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him from his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. This talks about Adam and the Good Samaritan we know as Jesus. But let's look at the parable, verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest, by the way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In other words, he looked at him, felt nothing in his heart, and just passed by. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, listen to this, he had compassion on him. Now, as I say that, I want to go back to verse 27 and bring something to your attention. 
Verse 27 says the following, And answering him on how you get eternal life, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind. And the meaning here is, And you will love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus is explaining how you love your neighbor and who your neighbor is. He's now pointing to the Samaritan that came to him and then had compassion on him. And as he had compassion, what did he first have? He had compassion. And then out of that compassion, it empowered him and he went to him. Can you see that the compassion and the action is two different things? The compassion was something that he had separate from the action. And, and the compassion was actually the motivating factor or what was driving him. Or the, like the Hebrew word would say for compassion, the womb from where the very actions was born. Okay. So what he's saying here is he, uh, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him and whatsoever you spend more, when I come, I will repay you. Which now of these do you think was a neighbor unto him that fell amongst the thieves? So Jesus is using how to love your neighbor. That's what he's showing. He's showing who the neighbor is, and he is showing, and what he's actually saying is, he's saying to mankind, I am your neighbor, and you are my neighbor, and I am good to you. That's what he's actually saying. But I, what I want to get to is the definition of the word love, because he's asking, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is explaining to him how to love your neighbor. Remember in the beginning he said, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And now in the last a verse here he says he said unto him he that showed mercy is the neighbor then jesus said unto him go and do you likewise so what is he getting to and I, I want you to concentrate on this part he's getting to the message or the point that love is to have compassion and to bring life love is to save someone's life from death on account of compassion that you have for that person. Jesus' definition of the word love, when you connect it to who's the neighbor and how do you love your neighbor, is simply this, to be moved with compassion from where actions to save a life comes forth. So if the Bible say, love your enemy, if God loves his enemies, what, what is in the heart of God? A compassion for the enemy to the point that he wants to save the enemy from what destroys the enemy and preserve his life. Now, that passion cannot derive from looking at the person's wrong works. It has to derive from beholding something that's greater than the works, which would be the value or the origin or the kind, or uh, it, you have to look at it relationally. I've mentioned in my notes there, or in the writing I, I have there, I've mentioned that you will find parents, when their kids commit a crime, even if it's molestation or rape or anything like that, that the person, the, 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 the mother or the father will have compassion on his very own child. And from that compassion, although he is uh, 
legally guilty of the crime, you'll find he will do everything to preserve the, the child, the child's life. Should it be in a country where he would get the death sentence for his crime, they would do everything to preserve his life. Why? Could that derive from the action that he had? No. If you look at the action, there would be no reason why you would want to save that person's life. You have to look deeper. You have to look at the value of the person. And as you behold the value of the person from that overwhelming feeling of acknowledging the value and seeing how value goes to waste, how something that is beautiful uh, goes to waste, all of a sudden you see the one that, has, that was the criminal, all of a sudden you see him as a victim where he was overtaken by something that was more powerful than him that is also destroying his life. Now, that is what was going on in the heart of God. That is called compassion. Now, uh, I want to quickly um, look at the word compassion in the, in, the, um, in the Greek and the Hebrew. The word compassion in the Greek and the Hebrew simply means to, to be moved as to one's bowels. It talks about a gut-wrenching feeling where you can feel it in in your intestines you feel the pain it's where you can have uh, uh, you share in the emotion it's it's an emotional feeling in the depth of of your gut that's what it's talking about remember i said the hebrew word there refers to the root word which means womb the place where where life is formed the bells were regarded as the seat to more violent passions, according to the Greeks, such as anger and love, but by the Hebrews, in the notes there on page 8, as the seat of tender affection, especially kindness, benevolence, wanting to see the, the well-being of man, compassion, uh, compassion, hence our heart, tender mercies or affections, where we love now, from the heart meaning we love from tender mercies we love from that gut-wrenching feeling inside us which takes place when we behold value now i want to say to you and i'm going to close off by you by uh, with this verse on page seven this is first john three seventeen. it is impossible to love someone with god's love outside of having compassion it is impossible the definition of god's love cannot be separated from feeling and cannot be separated from emotion passion and compassion and john said it but whosoever has this world's goods and see his brother have need and sh shuts up the bells of compassion for him how dwell the love of god in him do you see that the love of God cannot be separated from compassion? So when you see your brother in need, when you see him suffering, not having money and all those kind of things, you cannot always behold his actions. You have to behold his value. And should he be in a place where he is really facing uh, hunger, where he is facing death, how can you see your brother die? And when you 
and, and shut up the bells of compassion, meaning you're not willing to look at him the way God would look at you. You look at his actions, yes, but he messed up in his business, yes, this, yes, that, and so forth. You shut up the bells of compassion. If you shut up compassion, you will not be able to love. If you see your brother has the goods of this world and you shut up compassion, then you will not be able to love or to give. That is what he's talking about. So everything God gives you, everything God has ever done for you and to you, everything that God brings to you. This morning somebody phoned me from, from uh, France and uh, she was so ill. I tell you, you could see that she is almost drunk with illness. She was vomiting. She was so ill. Massive migraine headache, everything. She says, Betty, can you just please pray for me? She always calls me when, when she's ill. And I said, okay, I'll pray for you. And I, I started to pray for her. And I said, amen, put down the phone. She uh, sent me a message about a half an hour later. She said she immediately fell asleep completely. A deep sleep, woke up and then vomited once again and now she's healed. She's going to open her shop. You know, she's got a shop there in, um, in, in Nice or somewhere. Now, the good action that was done there wasn't simply born from a legalistic arrangement that God has with her or with humanity. It is born from the very compassion and uh, the moving of the womb of Yahweh to bring forth healing in our body. So I want to say to you, everything God has ever done for you was not simply just because God is good outside of feeling uh, compassion for you or a feeling towards you. You affect God. He loves you. Amen and amen. We've come to the end of this message, and I trust that this has really blessed you. Know that God loves you. He loves you to the point that he comes and he gives his son. We end off with John 3.16. He says, for God so loved, or for God, for God in this way gave expression to what was moving him. Or God was moved in the inner man in such a great way that he loved us by bringing forth a resurrected human being so that we will not die but have everlasting life, wanting us to be preserved forever with Him. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. Know that God loves you and that He will love you forever. Amen. God bless.